0: Hello Skywatchers! Thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's LookUp Podcast. I'm Jess.
1: And I'm Aman, and we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in July, this cosmic diary. When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies, it is important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch to the red night vision mode.
0: As we find ourselves in the midst of summer, we'll find that it's not the greatest time for stargazing. Nights are short and the air is warm, but don't fret, there's still plenty to see in the sky this month. First up we have the good old moon. We have another supermoon this month on the 13th of July. This will be the largest one of the year, so expect it to be especially bright. According to the Native American system, this full moon is named the Buck Moon, as it indicates the time when male deer shed and regrow their antlers.
1: Towards the end of the month, on the 30th, the Southern Delta Aquariid meteor shower will reach its peak. This is a strong shower that will produce meteors that rain down vertically from the radium, as Earth's rotation turns us towards its on-climbing meteors. These aquaries leave trains, persistent glowing trails from the fireball that linger in the sky for several moments. Look towards the south to find the radiant within its namesake constellation, Aquarius. The best time to view these meteors would be just before dawn, when the radiant reaches its highest altitude at 3am. From London, you should expect to see. About 9 meteors an hour.
0: Well, not strictly astronomy, but still very cool, we're currently in the middle of the season for noctilucent clouds, or night luminous clouds pale blue silvery clouds that seem to glow during the night. These are seen during the summer, when the sun doesn't set too far below the horizon at night, at latitudes between 45 and 80 degrees north or south. In these regions, sunlight from beyond the horizon reflects off the undersides of extremely high-altitude ice clouds found within the mesosphere, which is a layer of the upper atmosphere, and it gives the clouds a sort of strange glow. This is a rare phenomenon, these clouds only form during summers, When the mesosphere becomes cold enough to allow ice to form on suspended meteor particles floating in the atmosphere. To see these you don't need any special equipment, just look northwards where the sky is brightest an hour or two after sunset or before sunrise. These are hard to predict though, if conditions are good you should see streaking clouds low on the horizon, but if you're very lucky you could possibly see the whole sky lit up from east to west.
1: Another great target to see this month is Messier 13, the Great Hercules Globular Cluster. One of the best clusters to see in the Northern Hemisphere. Discovered by Edmund Halley in 1714, this cluster is located 25,000 light years away and contains approximately 500,000 stars. Its high altitude at night makes it an excellent target for observation this time of the year. To find it, look towards the western side of the keystone asterism of Hercules. This cluster is just about visible with the naked eye but better equipment would reward you with much improved views. A good pair of binoculars will reveal a fuzzy ball with a well defined centre, but telescopes with apertures between 4 to 8 inches will allow you to resolve the outer stars of the cluster. With a larger telescope you should be able to see three dark lanes that form the Y shaped propeller. This feature is an optical illusion, there's just less stars along our line of sight in this region making it appear darker.
0: The summer months provide the best observing time for those in the Northern Hemisphere to spot the star Antares in the constellation of Scorpius. The name Antares comes from the Greek for rival of Aries, Aries being the Greek equivalent of Mars. Being a very bright star with a deep red hue, we can see why the comparison to Mars was made. Antares is in fact a red supergiant, a massive star that's nearing the end of its life. It's 700 times larger than the sun, meaning that if it were to replace the Sun in the centre of our solar system, it would even swallow up its rival Mars. As it's nearing the end of its life, Antares is expected to go supernova within the next few million years, which would be an
1: incredible thing to look up for. If you happen to be down under, then we recommend you check out Messier 4, the first globular cluster to have its individual stars resolved by Charles Messier. With its high altitude and dark winter skies, this is a very good time of the year to view this cluster. Despite being smaller than Messier 13, this cluster is very easy to see as it's one of the closest clusters to us at only 7200 light years away compared to M13's 25000. It is bright enough to be seen by the naked eye and it is easy to find, lying close to the red heart of the scorpion, the bright star, Antares. With the naked eye, it'll look like a star, perhaps slightly fuzzy, but with a small telescope you'll be able to see the cluster members. Larger apertures will even allow you to see a bar structure at the heart of the cluster. It is possible to view Messier 4 back in the northern hemisphere if you look towards the south where it will appear low on the horizon.
0: If you do take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our Night Sky Highlights blog, which is on our website, rmg.co.uk. But for now, it's time for our cosmic news. Welcome to the Cosmic News part of our podcast. So in this part of the podcast, we both choose a news story from astronomy or space exploration news from the past month that's caught our attention, and then we share that with you all. And then of course, after the podcast is released, we'll then go head to head in our Twitter poll. So that's when we put both stories to the vote, to the public vote, to you all at home, and you vote for which one is going to be your favourite for the month. Very hotly contested here in the office, and of course, this is a first time entering this competition. Are you ready?
1: I'm ready to win, Jess. Oh,
0: okay, very confident there. We should announce the winner for last month. So, of course, last month we had myself talking about our prepare preparations, talking about our preparations for returning to the moon. And the concept of crime on the moon. And we had Jake talking about the fantastic images released of Sagittarius, a star, the black hole at the center of the Milky Way. And I can reveal that very sadly, Jake did win that one. Luckily, he's not here to, to gloat too much, but that's two wins to Jake recently. Let me gloat on his behalf. Oh oh no, we don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a momentous <laughs> news story, so I'll give Jake I'll give Jake that win for last month, but we'll see. Who comes out on top this month. (laughs) So we should probably start with our
1: news stories. start with the news stories, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay, okay. Did you want to talk about what you wanted to discuss this month?
1: So, uh, in the past month, NASA has announced that they are setting up a study on UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Now, this is a bit of a rebranding from UFOs, you know, because... uh, there's a lot of stigma attached to UFOs because it conjures up ideas of conspiracy theories and little green men floating about. Not floating about. What am I saying? Well, they might
0: <laughs> float about. We don't know. Um, so UAPs is what they're calling them now. Yes. So NASA is officially studying UFOs.
1: Officially studying UFO? Not not UFOs. UAPs. UAPs. See, it's so ingrained.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is? Why are they? Why are they doing this?
1: Well, UAPs are of interest to NASA on a national security and air safety perspective.
0: It's not so much from a, a scientific exploration point of view, but from a, an air defence point of view. They don't think they're interesting objects scientifically, they just think they might be a safety concern.
1: Well, not necessarily. Okay. I mean, there's still uh, a lot of interest. So, um, you know, these are things that are unidentified and, you know, there could be phenomena that we they're not aware of for example like as we mentioned with noctilucent clouds earlier you know they had they were considered to have very mysterious origins and it wasn't until we learned more of the science behind it that we realized what was causing them uh-huh. so, and it's i'd say it's pretty arrogant to say that we know of everything in the skies there could be lots of other weird things going on that you know there is fresh science to explore okay
0: so at one point the nice silvery glowing noctilucent clouds were thought to be To be alien or mystical or spiritual. Something mystical. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually seen any myself. I would love to.
1: Well, this is the perfect moment to do so.
0: Yeah, as you told me. Or as I told you. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so they might have a scientific origin, these UFOs. So NASA have admitted that there are UFOs, UAPs, and that they're going to study them. Have they brought up any suggestions about what they think they are?
1: Well, not, it's too early stages of planning mm-hmm. right now. So essentially what they're going to do is that they're going to identify existing data, be it from uh, the government, nonprofits, civilians and private companies. And then they're going to figure out how to collect future data and then afterwards how to use that data to further scientific knowledge. Mm. And they're expecting to start in about autumn or the fall as Americans call it. <laughs> the study is expected to start in the autumn and It's expected to run for about nine months and is led by an astrophysicist. Oh, wow. So another thing about the stigma of UFOs is that it actually prevents people from coming forward with sightings, because, well, if I saw something in the sky and I thought, oh, that's a UFO,
0: I'm going to feel
1: a little bit silly.
0: Yeah, I like to think we're a very welcoming office environment, but I'm also not sure how many UFO sightings you could report to me each morning before (laughs) I start being concerned about you. But no, they are. It is a thing people experience. People do sights unidentified objects in the sky. So hopefully,
1: um, with NASA being more forward with this sort of science, that people will be more willing to offer more data for the study. And hopefully we're going to have some more interesting discoveries.
0: Mm. And what do you think they are?
1: Or do I think they are? Well, let's make this clear. I don't think they're aliens but also, NASA has specified that they don't believe that any of these UAPs are extraterrestrial in nature.
0: Okay, so they've they've shut that down right out of the park.
1: Pretty much. But we also have to remember that NASA isn't just space, it's the National Aeronautics and Space Agency. So, you know, still got a lot of aerospace interest.
0: Okay, so it could be some kind of technology or it could be something related to the to the atmosphere or weather. Yeah, like you said, it could be past. some
1: really weird things going on that, you know. Mm. We can't say for certain, we know everything.
0: That's true, it's good to remind ourselves of that. Um, well, if we're talking about UFOs, and about aliens, you have stated that you don't think these UAPs... Is UAPs the right UAP. UAPs are aliens. Um, and NASA doesn't think they're aliens either. But do you think aliens exist out there in general?
1: I do think there are aliens out there. I think uh, there's a very, very good chance of just how large the universe is, but the difficulties in finding it. Mm. <laughs> there is a website called UFOtimeline.com, which is a timeline of all things UFO. so uh, I had a skim through it. looks pretty interesting.
0: Oh, okay, it lists all the, all the sites.
1: All the sightings,
0: sightings,
1: news, documentaries. it seems very 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 uh...
0: comprehensive
1: comprehensive. Mm. And the US government has also launched similar groups and programs over the years. For example, there was Project Blue Book, which was a catalogue to understand uh, about over 12,000 sightings from 1947
0: to 1969. So NASA has done research on on UAPs before.
1: The US government. The US government, not specifically NASA, (laughs) right. And there's also, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but I'm going to say Skypan, which is a unit of the French Space Agency, which has pretty much studied UAPs as well. And they've currently investigated about 3,000 cases, 40% are probably identified cases, 23.5% are definitely identified cases, 33% are unidentified due to lack of data, and even more mysterious, 3.3% of cases are unidentified after investigation.
0: So they reclassified most of their UFOs as, as not UFOs, IFOs, identified flying objects. Yeah, pretty much. 3% are still <laughs> UFOs. The ones they did reclassify, do you know about? Do you know what they were, what they turned out to be?
1: I did not do that much research. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll assume funny shaped clouds.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else?
0: Or fakes, I guess, because there is always the possibility that people are faking the photos they take. or
1: Yeah, hoaxes. Mm. But not all of them are hoaxes. Yeah. Well, for example, we have about, there are 400 US pilots that have admitting to seeing sightings. And there is a video from 2004 of one of these UFOs and a pilot getting very weirded out, which is pretty cool. It's on YouTube.
0: Oh, okay. So lots of weird shaped clouds out there. Have you personally, Have I seen
1: one? (laughs) I'm just going to say no. Mm -hmm. There were those, you know, you get those floaters in your eyes. Yeah. Yes. I remember seeing those and was very confused as to what they were. Ah. And then I grew up and I learned about floaters in your eyes, which are very fun.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have those too. I don't know if everyone experiences them. If for anyone that doesn't experience them, it looks like little see-through blobs in your vision. Particularly when you look up at a bright light. So, yes,
1: I should have explained that.
0: <laughs> so child, you looked up at the sky and saw some horrifying see-through monsters.
1: Approaching much. from above,
0: that must have been very and they were upsetting. Following
1: my line of vision, I was like, "What is oh, going on?"
0: That would have been that would have been weird. I don't remember when I learned what those were, but but no, I I empathise. <laughs> that
1: must have been difficult. These floaters actually have been mistaken for alien features before. Oh really? For not example, not just by you, not just by me, <laughs> by some of the great astronomers. For example, Scaparelli with his canals of Mars. Because one theory for he, these identified lines across the surface of Mars could have been floaters within his vision.
0: Well, I hope no one on the UAP team at NASA has any eyesight problems. We'll validate all their results. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to ask me what I want to talk about?
1: So Jess, what have you got to present to us today?
0: Well, my cosmic news story, which caught my eye this month is is related to yours, so you've been talking about um. You've been talking about UFOs or UAPs and the potential extraterrestrial visits to us here on Earth and how they're probably not aliens here on Earth. I want to keep on talking about aliens, but not here on Earth. Still within our solar system, but a bit further. Where, away, Where you ask me, I want to talk about
1: Europa. My what? <laughs> <laughs> not that was an awful joke. find that may with a response. Escalate.
0: Carrying okay. on through. Okay. So I'll address this part of the podcast to the table. Uh, Europa is one of the moons of Jupiter, one of the Galilean moons of Jupiter, which means it was discovered by Galileo Galilei. Galileo 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 Galilei. Yeah. yeah, I get confused which one is which one. Um, discovered by Galileo back in 1610, so hundreds of years ago now. It was big astronomical news in its day as well. So Europa is a moon of jupiter it's one of jupiter's many moons up to 79 moons although that figure does vary slightly jupiter has a lot of moons europa is one of jupiter's moons and it was first discovered by galileo back in 1610 so hundreds of years ago and that that would have been big astronomical news at the time as well if if Galileo had a podcast, he might have said it on his podcast, um, because that was the very first time that we had discovered a moon orbiting another planet. So we knew of our own moon, obviously, but until Galileo pointed the telescope at Jupiter, we didn't know there were other moons out there. So he found the four Galilean moons of Jupiter, which are Io, Callisto, Ganymede, and Europa. But it's Europa we'll be focusing on today. We now know it's the sixth largest moon in our solar system, and we think it might have an ocean underneath the icy crust.
1: Mm. But
0: it has been in the news recently because NASA announced that the main body of the uh, Europa Clipper spacecraft has arrived at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I think it sort of leads us into a really interesting discussion about how these missions develop and what happens next. So there is a mission which is going to Europa. It's called the Europa Clipper, um and side side note fun fact it's called the europa clipper after a very fast type of ship um, mainly in the 18th 19th century i'm not a historian but we are part of the royal museum's greenwich and we have the cutty sark which is also a clipper one of the fastest ever in fact Um, So there's a nice little link between us and and NASA. (laughs) There we go. Yeah. So we have the Cutty Sarg, our clipper. And a clipper was just a fast type of ship in general. So they've named this mission to Europa, the Europa Clipper, because it will be traveling incredibly fast and whizzing by Europa on multiple flybys, up to 50 flybys. And of course, it will be studying this internal ocean that the moon has. So there's a link to the sea and to ships there as well. I've really over explained the name, but... I liked that link. so <laughs>
1: It's a great fun
0: fact. Fun fact. Thanks. There's my fun fact. Uh, this spacecraft will be launching, leaving the Earth in 2024. And it has arrived at the Proportion Laboratory now in 2022, because there's two more years of like final assembly and testing before it finally gets to launch. So it was in the news this month because it was built at the Applied Physics Laboratory, I believe, APL is on the other coast of America, and it's been shipped across to, to JPL, which is in California, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and you'd think that would be the end. They've built it, it's there, but now two years of testing. Do you know much about the, the testing spacecraft undergo? No, I don't. Well, let me tell you more about it then. <laughs> um, so obviously they've spent decades planning and then designing and developing this spacecraft. They're going to spend millions of dollars or pounds, whatever currency you want to choose, launching it out into space and sending it on a five-year journey to to europa so if it breaks either during the launch or on the way there it's going to be a real shame that would suck it would indeed be rubbish so they test these things really thoroughly um, before they launch them so they do things like uh, vibration testing they just violently shake the whole spacecraft to check it still works afterwards um, because it will be violently shook during launch they do shock testing so they like impacts of shocks from different angles because when different parts of the rocket like disengage during the launch process it'll, it'll be like a shock to the spacecraft so they check nothing falls off and then they do vacuum testing so when the spacecraft leaves the Earth's atmosphere and then leaves the rocket it's a Falcon 9 heavy I think it's going to launch on which is one of the SpaceX ones uh, it'll be out in the vacuum of space and so we'd have they have a, a giant huge vacuum chamber in the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and they put it under vacuum conditions and change the temperatures, it's a thermal vacuum, uh, to see if it still works afterwards.
1: Um,
0: And they also do acoustic testing. So if you've ever been near a rocket while it's launching, I haven't. Have you been near a rocket while it's launching?
1: I haven't, but I heard it's pretty crazy.
0: It's pretty crazy and it's pretty loud. It's so loud the sound vibrations could damage delicate equipment, so they they replicate the noise of a launch. They do acoustic testing to the spacecraft as well.
1: Those must Um, be some really big speakers
0: Mm mm-hmm right be very unpleasant i don't think they stand next to the spacecraft as they're doing this to it
1: i remember reading uh one of these fun facts is that if uh, you were next to a space shuttle during launch it could stop your heart
0: from the sound
1: from the sound waves itself
0: wow
1: so uh so don't stand
0: too close to shuttle launches kids um
1: (laughs) i do have a question
0: yes please go ahead
1: once they've abused the satellite Mm -hmm. do they use that one or do they build a new one
0: Ah, they do have structural thermal models. They do often build models of satellites and abuse the model. But the real one goes through a round of testing as well, um, because they have to make sure it's, there aren't any like faults. So even if you've designed it perfectly, if someone's not screwed a bolt tight enough, it might still not work. So you have to detest a model, but you test the real thing as well. Um, and its I said it's going in a very big vacuum chamber. It's a very big spacecraft. It's about three metres tall and one and a half metres wide. That's when everything's folded in. But it's going on this five feet to Jupiter, so it's got these massive solar panels to power it once it's out there. And with the solar powers unfolded, it's about 30 meters wide. Wow. Yeah. So it is big. It's also heavy. It's about 3,000 kilograms without any fuel inside it. And there'll be a lot of fuel inside it for the various sort of, um, like, orbit insertion burns. So it'll get to Jupiter, and then it'll have to slow down to move into an orbit around Jupiter. So even though the spacecraft is exploring europa it'll stay around jupiter i think it's just easier orbital mechanics wise and do many many flybys so it'll pass by jupiter up to 50 times or it'll pass by europa
1: so what i read about the europa clipper is that it's mm-hmm. orbiting jupiter because well, if it was uh, orbiting europa it would be uh, too close radiation. to the radiation yeah of you're right i read
0: that too <laughs> jupiter itself has a massive magnetic field And then as Europa passes through Jupiter's magnetic field, it undergoes sort of an induced magnetic field as well. Um, Which is one of the reasons, by the way, they think there's an ocean underneath that surface. But my link between your cosmic news and my cosmic news is aliens. Because I like talking about aliens. You spoke about UFOs and how they're probably not aliens. Um, One reason that scientists want to explore Europa is Europa might have aliens. What? I know! (laughs) Or more accurately, it's possible there's some kind of microbial life within this ocean. But it might have aliens. (laughs) That's the definition of alien. Um, So, again, a bit like NASA was very clear in the launch of this UFO... Was it UAP? UAP. I'm never going to remember that. Um, just UFO is so catchy. It's not as catchy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: They made it very clear that they're not looking for extraterrestrial life with the UAP launch. They're looking to explain the phenomena. Um, This mission to Europa is about determining Europa's suitability for life, not specifically looking for the life.
1: So what sort of life could they find on Europa?
0: Well, so the moon itself is made of rock, and then it has an outer layer of water ice. Um, There's a shell of water ice covering that rock. And we think, again, it's not yet been fully confirmed, that a lot underneath the ice shell, there is liquid water, about 100 kilometres deep well some of that 100 kilometers is ice, 100 kilometers in total. Um, So there's an ocean covering the whole of that planet, so there's warm liquid water, salty water it is in fact, and so there might be something living in that salty water. It'll have to be something that can cope with uh, extreme pressures, because if you're at the bottom of an ocean there's lots of pressure, Um, possibly something anaerobic, something that doesn't use oxygen, because it's not exposed to an atmosphere, and Europe doesn't really have an atmosphere, so it'll need uh, to survive in different ways. Both these things are possible, because we've found...
1: Extremophiles!
0: Extremophiles! We have found a collection of living things. Living um, on the ocean floor here on Earth, so under extremely high pressures, in very dark, cold, not oxygen-rich environments. So it is possible. And us learning more about extremophiles, about life that can live in extreme like environments here on Earth, is what has prompted some scientists to think, well, Maybe it doesn't have to be like a perfect environment for life. It could be in a very, very difficult place to live. But still, there might be something living there.
1: That's true. We have mm. a very terrestrial view of life that we need water. We need a decent, nice temperature. We need an atmosphere. And well, I think if there is life in Europa, it's not going to rely on any atmosphere, which is quite exciting.
0: Mm-hmm. Might be and something under there.
1: There's also the fact that if we find life so close to us here in the solar system then that means there's a much greater chance of there being life out there in the universe.
0: So not just one other life form out there, Europa's ocean life, you're saying if we find life on Europa, we might also find life on an exoplanet.
1: Yeah, because yeah. if there's life so close to us, then that means that life must be a more common phenomena than we believed.
0: Mm-hmm, no, valid. Um. So with this, this news story about the the transfer of the spacecraft to JPL I watched the video of them unpacking it which I thoroughly recommend it's very quick, it's like a time lapse and you really get a sense of how like how is an entire industry around this sort of spacecraft design and movement because there's so many people around this spacecraft and they're doing it so incredibly carefully they're being very delicate with it and everyone is completely anonymous because everyone's wearing these strange white uh, sort of full-on white bodysuits with hoods and then masks and then goggles so you can't see who anyone is um, and that is because spacecraft are assembled in clean rooms. Um, mainly, well, there's a few reasons, but especially for missions to places like Europa, if say a human sneezes on the spacecraft, somehow some of those microbes survive the journey all the way to Europa, and then we find microbes at Europa. We don't know whether they're human sneeze microbes or real a real scientific discovery. So. It, um, invalidates your results if it's not built in a clean room. But yeah, they try and reduce bio-burden as much as possible, so you can never get rid of every microbe on a spacecraft, but they wear these clean suits, um, it's all assembled in clean rooms, everything is sterilised. Um, it's super cool. I They don't allow casual visitors to these assembly places because of the bio-burden, but I would really like to go by and watch some of this assembly and testing process. I don't know if you can get me into to JPL.
1: Sadly not. No, no one I don't there. have those sort of connects. Um, I know some other cool things. One of the instruments is designed to... Well, one of the hopes is that the clipper flies through one of Europa's suspected uh, water plumes. So hopefully it could gather some of that water, some of that material. And there is the possibility that life could be swept up into these plumes. So there is the very, very, very small chance that we could detect life directly on the spacecraft itself.
0: That would be insane. Because, yeah, it's not a lander, is it? It's not going to visit the surface or go under that ice and look at the water directly. It's only flying by. But if it does happen to to collect microbes from a jet in that flyby, that solves the problem. No further missions needed.
1: (laughs) Although we should say that these these water plumes are suspected. We're not 100% sure if they exist, but they were possibly detected by Hubble a while ago
0: they were yeah and i think they've since looked back through back through old galileo data and which was a, a previous spacecraft is at europa and they think they found plume, evidence of plumes in that data as well um but that leads us nicely on to to why we think there's an ocean underneath europa we've seen plumes that's we've one plumes. line of evidence yeah <laughs> so when you look at europa from space you see a shell of ice Um, and we're not just saying there's an ocean underneath because we want there to be an ocean underneath, there is evidence that points towards the fact there's an ocean underneath. So if you look at images of the surface of Europa, you can see it's covered in cracks, Um, and you can also see no real evidence of impacts and impact craters. There's a few craters on the surface, but not many. And everything in the solar system gets hit by lumps of rock all the time. So all surfaces have impact craters on them. So the only reason Europa doesn't have any It's because something has wiped that surface clean against some kind of geological resurfacing.
1: I believe Europa is the smoothest object in the solar system.
0: Yeah, I read that. Smoothest. Um, I then read that it might have a a series of spikes along the equator. But that seemed insane, so I wasn't going to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's got a ring of spikes. Um, Yeah, so some kind of geological resurfacing. So maybe there's liquid water under the surface creating that sort of process. The cracks themselves might come from where the surface is being uh, like deformed by that liquid water underneath and liquid water is being pushed up between the cracks in the ice, sort of smushed up between I'm describing this really
1: poorly Well, Um, we do believe that uh, Europa is actively being deformed and that's actually the heating mechanism that keeps these oceans liquid because uh, as Europa orbits around Jupiter, Jupiter's immense gravity literally deforms it into a bit of an oblong shape and then That causes internal friction, and we call this tidal heating.
0: Nice squishes and squashes it, Um, and yeah, that's where the warmth comes from to give us that ocean full of potential alien life.
1: Another bit of evidence for there being water beneath the crust of Europa is the fact that we see aurora on its surface, and what's really strange is that they're quite low in latitude, which is really strange, and. We believe that it must be, you know, salty water beneath the icy crust was responsible for these strange auroral locations.
0: Mm. And talking about salt, we think it's salty water because uh, Europa has got this ice crust, but it's not a beautiful, pristine like like an ice cube from your freezer. Ice crusts—it looks kind of dirty, and that is salt deposits across the surface, possibly from that from that internal ocean. And a salty ocean would have a lower freezing point than a non-salty ocean, which would help it to exist. So this mission won't get there until 2030, assuming it launches on time in 2024, because these sort of decade-long development processes often often have delays and setbacks. We know that with James Webb took much longer than originally planned to actually launch. But if it does get there in 2030 and it starts collecting data and results, hopefully soon, soon <laughs> in several years, we will at some point get some information back and from this mission they'll be able to To learn even more about Europa and characterize and really confirm if it's a global ocean underneath the surface. And then if there is a global ocean, maybe there's life in it. Maybe that life is building tiny little microbe spacecraft, flying those spacecrafts out of the plumes, back towards the Earth, and then we're seeing them as UFOs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That'd be an exciting time for NASA.
0: It's an exciting time for us all. I don't think that's real, just to make that very clear. (laughs) One final fact about Europa, which I think is interesting, and then we can talk about other icy moons if you like, but Europa has this ice shell, and then underneath the ice shell might have liquid water. Another reason, to add to that long list of reasons about why we think there's an ocean, is the ice shell is moving at a slightly different rate to the underside, we think. Hmm. Um, A picture, picture yourself wearing a mask, and then if you turn your head really fast and the mask doesn't follow you, and the only reason you'd be able to have a surface moving independently of, of your crust is if it's, you know, moving along on this ocean. Hmm. Huh, There's some sort of drag going on. Mm-hmm. And that's the pull of Jupiter pulling on that ice. The gravitational pull of Jupiter. Europa isn't the only moon that we think has an ocean underneath the surface, though. Do you know of others?
1: Enceladus. Is that your favourite moon? That's it's one of my favourite moons. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's my favourite moon. What is your actual favourite moon. The moon.
0: Oh, controversial. <laughs> my favorite moon is Titan.
1: So Enceladus is probably one of my favorite moons, mm-hmm. because, well, it's very similar to Europa. It has a very nice, clean white surface that also, we were thinking has a constantly refreshing surface. So if you see one of the pictures of the surface, it does have some craters, but it seems to be they seem a bit faded. And uh, when the Cassini spacecraft performed a flyby of Enceladus it took photos of two cryovolcano eruptions. Mm. Now, cryovolcanoes are essentially volcanoes of water and ice breaking through an icy crust, and essentially all the material would rain back on the surface, cleaning the canvas, and some of it gets shot into space and joins up and becomes part of Saturn's rings. Uh-huh. But if there are cryovolcano eruptions, then that indicates the existence of a subsurface ocean of liquid water. Again, but... I'm not sure if there are any planned missions to go to Enceladus just yet.
0: Not that I'm aware of. I don't think so. We can add Enceladus to our list of our list of targets.
1: I'm going to continue overtaking Jess's segment and talk about Ganymede. We believe that Ganymede also has layers of liquid water oceans beneath its surface.
0: And there is a mission going to Ganymede, isn't there?
1: Yes. The Jupiter Icy Moon's... Explorer. Explorer. Juice. Juice. And that's, I believe that is a collaboration with the ESA.
0: Oh, we should talk about that. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and actually, I made a faux pas. It's not pronounced ESA. They prefer ESA. Oh, do they? Yes.
0: That's good to know, because I switch wildly between the two. So the European Space Agency or ESA. Definitely. We could go with ESA. So that's my cosmic news story for you. So we've got potential life on Europa and our mission to Europa and this exploration, this uh investigation into ufos
1: uaps watch it, you
0: i'm really gonna struggle with that but we'll round it off by reminding you all to now go and vote for your favorite story who will win this month
1: will it be nasa and the search for uaps not ufos
0: or will it be the continuation of the planned mission to europa and ESA's clipper let's find out soon so, yes, do remember to vote in our Twitter poll. I think that's that's about it for today. We've covered all Shall we need to cover. we
1: call it a day? I think we should. Okay.
0: If you had any ideas for cosmic news stories that you think we should cover, please do tweet us at ROG Astronomers.
1: And, as always, thank you for listening, and don't forget, keep looking up. <laughs>